You're listening to the Punisher Waterfowls, the Union 0430 podcast. Brought to you by Real Geese Decoys, the most technologically advanced silhouette decoy on the market. First Light, the best hunting gear on the planet. Go farther, stay longer. And Ducklander Calls, tradition, education, and quality. Built to hunt. episode 142 and we got a treat for you tonight we've got hannah facey coming to us this young lady we met at the toronto sportsman show um back in march she had came she had come by our booth we we started talking to her and her boyfriend brett um and brett's out of town so he can't come on the show tonight <laughs> um so it's just uh hannah and uh, hannah and i on tonight so um but the really cool thing is that when we met Hannah, um, she started telling us what she does for her for her job, and that is um, she is very much involved in in uh, preventing the bird flu. So we'll get into um, a quick bio and a talk to uh, a talk with Hannah. Uh, I'm having a real problem saying your name for some reason. It, I'm just getting all tongue tied here. Um, but uh, the boys. As you, as you all know, the boys are busy. Um, they're scattered all over the place, so they won't be on. So uh, it'll, again, be just me with the guests. So, um, Hannah Facey, you know what? It's awesome. Another East Coaster. So the East Coast. Hannah came to us, grew up in Nova Scotia in Pictou County, um, done her schooling at Dalhousie, a, a great school, great university, done uh, animal... Animal Science and Agriculture at, at Dal, uh, and then left Dal, uh, moved to Guelph, and, and got into uh, poultry, what is it called? Poultry nutrition. I never knew that that was such a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a good introduction. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I studied poultry nutrition in school, um, and now I'm working as a service technician in the industry. Um, okay. So. Uh, yeah, I see bird flu a lot. It's something that we have to, you know, stay up on um, yeah. because it affects my job quite heavily. So, so the so animal science, agriculture. So you've always sort of kind of been involved, interested in that side of thing. Um, and then, you know, um, when you came to Guelph and you zeroed in on your masters. Um, why poultry, um, why that side of things when, when I know it's a, it's a very broad spectrum once you get into your master. So why did you zero in on the poultry side of things? Yeah, I actually um, don't come from an agricultural or farming background. Um, coming out of high school, I didn't really have um, a very good direction <laughs> to where yeah. I wanted to go. So um yeah, I knew I liked animals, so I went into animal science um, and then just kind of took the opportunities from there that came. Um, so when I was doing my undergrad, I had an opportunity to do a research project with layers, um, and then that led into my master's with broilers. It was um, very much related to what I did in my undergrad. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I just followed the opportunities from there. Uh, the industry, the poultry industry in Canada is booming. Um, it's a pretty big industry, especially here in Ontario. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to go back on something because you, you use this term um, in your bio when you sent it to me, broilers, and I've never heard that. So could you explain what that term, what that is? Yeah, a broiler is just like a meat chicken. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they're, so, they're produced for meat instead of eggs. Okay, okay. So I didn't yeah. know if it was like a an institution or a, or a company or something like that. Okay, so graduated, uh, got your master's uh, in poultry nutrition. Now you're a service technician, um, and I'm guessing one of your biggest jobs and and we can get into all of them but one of your biggest jobs which is the reason why um we asked you to come on tonight is to help i'm guessing all these chicken farmers um in southwestern ontario and all over ontario and canada i guess and into the united states um this threat that that we see and that we're hearing a lot of right now with the with the avian flu yeah um so my job isn't directly related to the bird flu, I guess, um, but I work very closely with um, right. chicken producers across the province. So um, it comes up a lot. Um, so for example, whenever there's an affected farm in Ontario, there is a zone set up, kind of like a control zone around mm -hmm. the farm. Um, and that restricts any like um, vehicles or equipment coming in and out or personnel like myself. Um, okay. So I have to be very careful about like biosecurity, um, sort of thing where i'm traveling wow so, so that's mostly how it affects me so when you say this so when you say like vehicles coming in and stuff so so if i i've never been to a chicken farm um so i can only assume thousands upon thousands of chickens right um yeah so if if a firm becomes contaminated or test positive, whatever it is, um, and you say this control zone gets this, I'm, I'm guessing the firm goes on complete lockdown. I'm guessing everything, like from, from the mud that could be on your shoes as you're leaving that firm and walking out, everything is, it's, you know, um, you're, you're exposed, I guess, and you could become a carrier. Is it, is it really that um sensitive i guess for lack of a better term yeah exactly um we have to be very careful um it's part of my job to reduce the risk for um our clients i guess um yeah. so yeah you have to make sure you're washing your car even the mud on your tires um could be a problem we gotta so we don't not only have to wash our cars but disinfect our cars as well so we're carrying around like spray bottles of disinfectant with us um shoes clothing, all that kind of stuff. Any equipment that we're bringing with us has to be like cleaned and disinfected. Right. Um, we actually try to stay out of the control zone entirely unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, I actually, there was a case that popped up in the fall in Ontario and I actually lived in the control zone. So mm. every time I left the house, I had to go get a car wash and, and uh, yeah, try oh, to avoid really? being on farms and yeah, yeah. Um. You know, when we talked at the Toronto Sportsman Show, um, I can remember Dave and I, when we were talking to you and Brett, we were saying, like, um, it's a concern. We hear about it. Um, and in in my experience, we were hearing most, we were getting our most of our information from south of the border. We weren't really getting a whole ton of information north of the border or not a lot of people um, posting about it, I guess, um, in Canada. 
and I guess one of the biggest things, I, the reasons why we wanted you to come on is that we knew that it is a concern here, um, but it's not as public, I think, as, as it is down in, down in the States. Um, you know, can you shed some light on just how, I don't want to say severe, but just how, how much risk there is um, with this right now? Yeah, well, um, I guess I can go into a little bit about like what bird flu is. Sure. And, yeah, um, please. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two main variants, I guess. Um, what we refer to as bird flu um, in relation to the outbreaks that we're seeing now, that's the highly pathogenic avian influenza, so HPAI. Um, there's also a low pathogenic avian influenza, which is um, kind of similar to our common cold. Like it circulates in the populations all the time. Um, it's okay. not really an issue. Um, but yeah, so um, HPI AI um, is a virus that affects all birds. Um, it's actually endemic in parts of the world like um, Europe, for example. So it circulates in their population all the time as well. Um, and so it's thought to have come to Canada through Europe, um, like shorebirds in Europe, nesting in the Arctic, and then landing in Newfoundland um, through the East Atlantic Flyway. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it can travel across, across the country, down into the U.S., stuff like that. Um, so yeah, the situation in Canada, there was an outbreak back in 2015, um, that's talked about a lot that only lasted about a year before it kind of died down. And then this current outbreak, um, started, I believe it was late 2021, all of 2022. And then basically up until now we've been dealing with it. Um, so here in Ontario, I did have some, um, stats for you, if awesome. you would like. Yes, please. Um, yeah, so currently there's about 58 affected domestic flocks across Canada. Um, okay. I think there are currently two active cases in Ontario, um, but 40, 40 domestic flocks since the beginning of the outbreak, so back to 2021 in Ontario. Um, nationally, the impact has been much bigger. Um, about 7.6 million birds nationally have died from the virus. Um, 3.6 million have been in BC. That um, BC has seen the biggest impact. They're the most yep. densely concentrated, I guess, in terms of domestic flocks. Mm -hmm. uh, 1.4 million were in Alberta. And then here in Ontario, we've had about 800,000 birds affected. Um, and then that's only domestic flocks. That's not considering the wild populations. Right. I can remember the uh, I can remember being on the news about the BC flocks because it was it was really, I think, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was really the the first big one in Canada, right? That that where the farmers really lost a lot of their flocks. So it it was big news. Um, and uh, I don't know how you feel about the media, but um, I'm I'm not a big. I I think they they try to scare the shit out of us all the time. So um, in that case, they were making a really big deal about the bird flu at, at that time in BC and, and you're saying 7.6 million birds. Now that wasn't all in BC, but um, 7.6 million birds is an insane amount of, insane amount of birds. Yeah, and when you consider the situation globally, like I don't think Canada has been nearly as affected as say the US or Europe right. or places like that. That's yeah, so BC got hit especially hard because they had the flooding before um, in 2021 right. so yeah. they had a lot of barns washed out and then they got hit with bird flu <laughs> oh so then 
I'm guessing with the floods and the burns washing out, uh, maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but then that would have increased the uh, the spread, I guess, for lack of, again, right? So with with the water and 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 you know in the burns and and flooding and everything, that would have uh, added to the spreading as well on top of it, right? That's insane. Okay, yeah. That's insane. Um, so. You sort of kind of touch on something there when you said, you know, Canada hasn't really been that bad. Now we have a we have a very um, we have a very big meat chicken population and and the egg population, uh, egg producing chickens as well, right? Like that that is a, a major industry in Canada. So it's not like we're um, small time players. We may we may not be as big as some of the other countries, but but we do have a. a a fairly large industry is it is it some of the um restrictions that we so that the government that that your uh places of work and and the canadian food inspection agency and all those is is that what's you know keeping us at bay right now or or is there another reason um, maybe Canada is supply managed um, for eggs and poultry meat. So, okay. um, yeah, I guess I don't know a lot about the politics behind it um, right. or how other countries are managed. But, um, yeah, here in Canada, it's it is a little bit more controlled because of the quota system um, okay. and the supply management system. So okay. and I think that's um, why we're a little small, like the industry is a little bit smaller compared to, say, the U.S. because we're not um, yeah. like importing as much yeah, or exporting okay 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 yeah okay that makes sense um so okay so we we've we've got some background on it um you know hey don't be hating on newfoundland if just because hannah said that's where the bird flu is coming in from um, don't <laughs> be hating on newfoundland uh but no in all seriousness though um you you gave us a bit of a background on it um we know some of the stats of what historically has happened in Canada and Ontario, Alberta, BC, those areas. Um, I've seen some pretty, I've seen some pretty disturbing videos um, coming out of the States of, you know, um, some hunters that they've come on. So uh, a friend of the show, Sean Weaver, who's a, a, a very educated man um, when it comes to, to birds and, and all things birds, right? Not just diseases, but all things birds and um we've seen some pretty disturbing videos of canada geese being infected and and just some you know not not pretty video uh, of affected birds so for anybody that's that's listening um what are some of the common symptoms that that we would see uh with affected birds um, yeah, so for wild birds, you're probably most likely to just come across the dead animal. Um, yeah. If you're looking at a sick bird, you're probably most likely to see neurological signs like tremors um, or lack of coordination. Yeah. Um, there are some more subtle symptoms that you would um, more likely be able to pick up in like a domestic flock. Um, so other symptoms would be um, lack of energy, movement or appetite, um, decreased production like egg production. Um, yeah. You could see swelling around the head, neck and eyes. Um, like respiratory problems like coughing gasping for air sneezing really? um you could see diarrhea you could see um no, yeah no sudden death. 
So all the same <laughs> symptoms of us if we had the flu. <laughs> There's a long list, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is so wild. Um, because the videos that we've seen, that I've seen, anyways, it was a Canada geese, and when you when you brought up the neurological uh, signs, like uh, you know, the neck on a on a goose, right? And the neck is just contorted in a way that it, it's obviously not natural. Um, the goose is just movements that are that are very sharp and and not normal for what a goose would make right so that that was the that was the weird things that that we seen which were sort of kind of disturbing right so um but it's good because i know um i do know that there that we do have some friends that i did it it didn't occur for me um but we did have some friends this this past season um they had to uh they they bagged every bird Every bird that they shot, they brought it into the uh, into the wildlife station, and and everyone got got tested. Now they weren't doing that down here, uh, where I am in Kingston, but um, down in southwestern Ontario, down around um, uh, Long Point and and Lake Erie, they they were doing it down there. So um, I'm guessing just because of the sheer number. Of, of chicken farmers that are down there it's it just a little bit more of a of a hot zone i would think is that right um where where are you talking about like long point um port perry uh down around so and it like southwest of hamilton i guess like london area down and around there i did i seen some videos of some friends like they when they got their birds, they would bring them in, and and they were getting they were getting tested by some wildlife biologists and stuff like that. So it it it's cool to see. It's cool to see that that um, steps are being taken. I just don't know, which was the reason why we wanted you to come on the show. We just don't know if if there's enough um, attention being given within the the. the poultry industry in Canada I'm sure it is but within the the hunting community in Canada I'm not so sure that that it's getting the attention that it that it really should be getting right now yeah for sure and yeah I do agree I think um the poultry the poultry industry is so specialized that we're kind of in our own little bubble and if you're yeah. in it you're in it and if you're not then yeah I think um I think the public should definitely be more informed about, yeah, the situation and what they can do. Um, Hannah, what's some, you know, like what can we, what can the average person do um, to, to try and stop the spread of this um, without knowing, you know, if there, if there is a, a, a hot zone where you are or anything like that, but are there any common things that, that people could be doing to stop the spread? Yeah, for sure. Um, like you mentioned, bringing the birds in to get tested, um, you should be reporting like any birds that you see um, out in the wild. Um, you can contact the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative to make those reports. And I'm sure okay. we can maybe link that somewhere for your listeners. Yeah, abso absolutely. Yeah, and then hopefully it goes without saying, but don't um, touch or consume any sick or dead birds that you find. <laughs> Yeah. Um, other things for the general public would be just discouraging any like grouping or mingling of wild birds. So 
Um, you could bring in your bird feeders or bird baths, especially during migration season, like in the spring when it's really oh. um, a concern. Even songbirds? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Any, any bird, any poultry can be affected. Never even thought about it. Um, yeah. I've got a, I've got a pile of, of feeding uh, bird feeders out in my backyard. So uh, I never even thought about, never even thought about it, to be honest with you. Yeah. So um, that's kind of what I have for the general public. I know um, for hunters, I feel like hunters can play a really important role um, mm -hmm. in something like this, especially the reporting of it and things like that. Um, so if you're hunting wild birds, um, any meat that you're harvesting from um, seemingly healthy birds, make sure you cook well, <laughs> yeah. 165 yeah. degrees Fahrenheit, that will kill the virus in any meat, eggs, or organs that you're cooking. Um, and then store any uncooked meat you have away from cooked and ready to eat foods. Um, and just try to limit like cross in general. So um, practice Sorry, things you like- just you just cracked up on us. So you said try and limit- um, Any cross-contamination. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so things like um, field dressing your birds. Um, if that's not possible, then try to dress your game in a way or in an area away from any wild or domestic birds, if you have domestic birds on your property. Yeah. Um, and then double bag anyway, store it in a container with a lid so that wild birds can't get at it. Um, and make sure you're cleaning and disinfecting all of your tools, including your hands, clothes, and shoes, that sort of thing. Um, wow. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, if you are a hunter with domestic poultry on your property, make sure you just take the extra steps to protect them as well. Um, any biosecurity measures, just like a commercial farm would be taking. Um, yeah. So kind of the same deal, keeping outdoor food sources away from your birds um, so that you're not drawing in more wild birds to mingle. Um, and then, yeah, sanitizing, washing. Well, I know. Yeah, no, all all great points. And, and I hope everybody that's listening um, because if you don't know, Hannah, there's like millions and millions of people that listen to this show every week. So, um, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, serious, but no, all good points. And, and I think, um, even without the bird flu, a lot of those points, um, you know, should be practiced by people anyways, especially when it comes to field dressing and, and all of that good stuff. But I'm not sure if you heard about it and I don't know the whole story, um, but a couple weeks ago, uh, a gentleman's dog had passed away. It was all over social media. Um, I don't know the whole story, and, and you know the way it is when it comes to social media. You really only ever get one side of it. Um, but there was a gentleman um, that his dog had, had died, and he was eating a dead bird, which, which had um, the bird flu um, later they you know, when they tested the bird, the bird had bird flu and, and that's what happened to the dog. So, um, you know, for the people that are listening, this is a, a, a very serious thing because not only is it the birds that are, that are dying and the, in the chicken world, um, listen, let's face it, the world runs on money and, and if a, if a chicken producer is losing half of his flock, and, you know, you're talking, you know, 7.6 million birds in Canada. Um, that's an extreme shock to the supply system, I, I would think. Uh, I don't know how many birds are produced in Canada, uh, how many chickens are produced in Canada a year. But 7.6 million seems like a lot of chickens um, for Canada. 
So, you know, um, it, it is our responsibility. And, and you brought up a very good point when you said hunters can have uh, a big role to play in this because not taking anything away from the average person that's out um, walking trails or, or doing whatever, but the majority of hunters that are, that are out and they're scouting and they're, and they're checking on birds and, and watching things, they notice um, behavioral changes a lot quicker than the average person would do. I, I would think, um, I think that's a safe assumption to make. So I think that as hunters and, and outdoors people, um, we do have an important part to play in this because we, I think we will pick up on it um, clear of an expert or somebody that's working in that field. I think a hunter would pick up on it a lot quicker than the average, than the average person. Correct. Yeah, I agree. So, um, so again, everybody, it, it is a big thing and I, I really don't know how to, how to stress it anymore, but it is such a concern that, um, I, I can put it to you this way. I'll do what I have to do so that I don't lose my, my bird hunting season. And, and that's, that's what scares me, right? I don't want to lose my bird hunting season. I don't want to see farmers lose all their chickens either, but, um, from a very selfish point of view, I, I don't want to lose my bird season. And, and we've seen changes like last year. Um, so I'm not sure if you know about Long Point um, that's down around Port Perry and, and those areas, but it, it's a, I don't want to say a bird sanctuary because it, it's one of the best hunting places in, in Ontario for uh, diver ducks uh, that are coming through. But they, you know, they have feed stations and everything down there that, and they dry in a ton, a ton of birds all year long. And last year there was no feed stations because they had to limit the amount of birds that were, uh, like you said, mingling together and hanging out together, right? So that, so that, just that alone changed a lot for hunters in that area of Ontario. And, and I would suspect, uh, I would suspect it affected the, our friends south of the border too. So much so, um, I'm, I'm going on a bit of a rant here now because I don't know what, if, if you were aware of it, but even at the beginning of last season, um, so for American hunters that were coming to Canada to hunt, so we're talking mostly um, American hunters coming into Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and coming in with guides well they weren't allowed to bring back any meat with them now that's sort of kind of silly in my mind because birds don't pay attention to the imaginary line that's our border between canada and the u.s they fly across the uh, north and south all the time but it was a big enough concern for the american you know poultry industry or or whoever that that they had to put that limit on that you know you couldn't bring you couldn't bring birds back. If, if you were harvesting game in Canada, you couldn't bring it back into the States, no matter what you did. Um, it just, just wasn't allowed. They, they later changed it, but still, um, it, it is that much of a concern that, that they'll change regulations over it. Yeah. Yeah. You made a lot of good points there in that rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, I, I, I tend to do that. I tend to do yeah. it. Okay. Okay, so we've talked about the seriousness of the bird flu. I really want to get into now 
Um, I really want to get in because it's really interesting because you said you're just starting your career as a hunter. And I'm really interested um, to know more about your journey, um, how you got started to where you are today, what your goals are and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you, you sort of touched on it at the beginning. You said you didn't come from a outdoorsy family, agricultural family. Um, you knew you loved animals and stuff, but now the shift into a hunter, I, I know why you told me in your bio, but can you, you know, why, why to draw into becoming a hunter? Yeah, well, um, yeah, my family's not a hunting family or um, into agriculture or anything like that. But um, yeah, I guess I've always enjoyed the outdoors. Um, I've always enjoyed things like hiking and, and um, backcountry camping and things like that. Um, I was always into fishing. Um, my partner, Brett, got me really into fishing and ice fishing. Um, so yeah, when I came to Ontario, um, you know, there's no wild turkeys in Nova Scotia. So when no. I came to Ontario, I was like, wow, wild turkeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, hunting was just another way for me to enjoy the outdoors. Um, and then through my um, education, I guess, I also got very interested in like, um, sustainable living, um, mm -hmm. being able to like provide food for yourself, kind of not that I would ever be able to do it, but living off the grid that always right. fascinated me. Um, so yeah, when I came to Ontario, I knew I wanted to start hunting. Um, but it was quite the process to go through all of like the courses, um, getting your license, things like that, getting the equipment. So I'm just starting now. Um, I'm all set up and I'm hoping to get a turkey this weekend, actually. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. So so, so you've so up to this point, this is going to be your first turkey trip. Does is is Brett a hunter? Has he hunted before, or both he is kind of new and yeah. together? Yeah, I think first and foremost, Brett's a fisherman, but he certainly okay. has a lot more hunting experience than me. Um, he's right. hunted across Canada, basically in Alberta, Nova Scotia, um, and now in Ontario. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's I think more of a big game hunter like he's done right. a lot of deer hunting um mm -hmm. but yeah we're i want to start in birds so turkey and waterfowl um yeah so yeah that's that's where we're starting here in ontario well uh i'm going to introduce you to uh, a fabulous group of girls um and not far from where you are um laurianne horse um the canadian sportswoman society um they're amazing amazing group of ladies that that are doing it for all the right reasons um so I'm going to introduce you to them because I really do think you should you should uh, talk to Laurieann and, and Jamie because I think they're just they're, they're beautiful, wonderful people, and, and I think the world of them, and I love what they do. Um, but yeah, that would be fabulous. Uh, but this this oh boy, like did you pick two species to go after that are just absolutely can humble you and turkey? <laughs> turkey and and waterfowl and i don't care what anybody says for most people you'll hear uh, i'm sure you've heard it yourself when you tell people why well, i'm going to go out and and try and get a turkey and people go oh it shouldn't be too hard there's turkeys everywhere yep when you're driving around you see them um when it comes to sitting in the woods yeah they'll they'll humble you every time i haven't been out yet um dave's been out he's already got his birds um or got his bird uh, he haven't got a second one yet, I don't think. But uh, I do. I really, I I really want to see 
how you do on on your turkey hunt because I think when you experience that that gobble that first gobble of the morning um if you have never felt the hair on the back of your neck stand up um this will be the time that it that you'll you'll feel it because it is like a feeling you've never experienced ever in your life um anyways that's but i really wanted to talk about this because i personally have seen a huge uh, increase in the attention that it's giving, that it's that it's been getting, and that is of your generation. So, so the twenty-somethings that that have this, you know what? I want to be able uh, sustain. I want to know where my food is coming from, as opposed to just blindly going and buying food at the grocery store where you don't know where it was harvested, you don't know where it's coming from, and and you know. Um, your generation, I think, especially in the hunting world, I think it gets a gets a bad rap um, because I think people just think, ah, it's young young people and they're they're too busy with other things and and all this stuff. But I do think that there's been a, a huge resurgence, especially with um, people that that are coming from the cities that want to get out and they want to harvest their own food. They want to grow their own food. They want to harvest their own protein um, for the simple fact that they feel better knowing that they got it and they know where it came from and, and you know, not all these harmful things that are, are being put into it and stuff. So how much, and I know you said you're hoping, like that's one of the reasons, but like, um, I guess, what I'm saying, is it going to be a completely on a sustainability side of thing, or is it on a sports side of thing, or is it 50-50? Um, it's a little bit both for me, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I certainly, it's a hobby that I've enjoyed learning, um, like the whole um, like target shooting and stuff like that has been yeah, enjoyable, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a big draw to it for me is also, you know, harvesting the meat and yeah. how, how are you going to cook it? How are you going to prepare it and all that sort of thing? So, you yeah. Want, want me to give you a hint on turkey, how to cook it? Yeah. <laughs> so this is, and anybody that's listening are probably going to lose their mind when they hear me say this, but fish crisp, cut your turkey breast in the strips, roll it in fish crisp and deep fry. And I'm telling okay. you, it's, it's the, it's the best. It, it is the fish crisp or chicken batter and roll your turkey in that and deep fry it. Um, because it is just the best. Now there's probably a pile of people that's going to listen to this and just absolutely lose their mind and say that I'm, I'm doing it all wrong, but, um, that's the best way I like it. So, and you know, if both of you get one each, that's a lot, there's a lot of meat on a turkey on a, on a breast of a turkey. So, uh, it, you know, take one breast and, and try it out and experiment. But I'm sure I'm sure you'll like with a basket of basket of fries. Oh yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I'll remember that one. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I I still wanted to to keep going. And and I wanted, you know, with you new coming into the sport or into the world of hunting, you know, I I wanted to pick your brain on on things like. What are you seeing um, 
you know, first, first as a, as a, as a lady coming into the, into the hunting world, um, as a younger person coming into the hunting world and, and somebody that's, you know, for lack, you had no exposure to it whatsoever growing. I, I don't want to say no exposure, but you know what I mean? Like you, you were around the outdoors, but you weren't in the hunting and stuff growing up. Yeah. You know, what, what are some of the things that, you know, some of the good things that you're seeing with regards to the hunting community uh, for you as a, as a new hunter? Um, well, that's kind of a hard question because I feel like yeah. I'm still just getting into it. Um, yeah, yeah. But it has been, like, it's a bigger community, I guess, than I thought it was. Um, right. And I think there is a lot of support, especially online, for, um, like, women getting into hunting. Um, the fastest I know growing demographic right now. Yeah, there's a lot of um, brands specifically for women. Um, mm -hmm. I was afraid getting into hunting that I wouldn't be able to find any clothing, any camo, right. anything like that for women. But there's actually um, quite a lot out there. Yeah. designed for women and so. i'm looking at your hat too right like that that's an PSG, ontario, yeah. yeah that's an ontario <laughs> company we were hanging i was hanging out with those girls uh on saturday night at the wald for hope dinner so uh great girls and and the same thing right they're doing a putting together a, a fabulous product uh designed specifically for for girls because yeah i i get it i've got a wife and and a daughter and i know what it's like to try and find uh hunting clothes for them so yeah, and I think it's important to have that community, too, because the sport, I think, is dominated by men. So, you know, even finding guns that fit you properly are challenging. So, yeah, having that community has been very big. Yeah. Um, do you do you spend any time on the social media groups or, or are you sort of kind of like watching from a distance? Are you involved in the social media groups and stuff like that? Um, not really. I definitely say I'm watching from a distance. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious just to, on the men's side of things, um, you know, for, for a group of people that say that we're united as a community, um, from the male side of things, we're absolutely horrible to one another. Um, <laughs> well, and, and we are, um, especially to new hunters, um, everybody forgets that they've had time to learn and, and they were mentored and, and taught certain things um, to where now they're, they're very comfortable in their knowledge and they forget what it was like when they first started. So now when we see, um, we see teenage kids come on and not even just teenage kids, even, even young and older adults that are just starting to get into the hunting world we see them come on the social media groups and ask questions and get absolutely annihilated because somebody thinks that they should already know. Meanwhile, you know, they're trying to educate themselves by asking the questions and come and coming to the source of, you know, where they would think they would get the right answers. Um, but not getting, not getting the answer and, and ultimately being made look like a fool. And I'm just wondering, I find it hard to believe that the women's side would be like that. Um, women seem to be a little bit more compassionate than what, than what men are. Um, but I was still curious. I didn't know, if, you know, if, if there is any of that tension within in the female world. And, and I hate to have to break it down, right? Like, 
you know, you hear about it, like what, who cares? It should be just whatever, but th there is a, there is a, a line for some reason. And, and it will always, I think it'll always be, um, you know, female hunters and male hunters, especially for new hunters, especially for females, I think, because there is that, uh, that worry like you said, it, it's a male-dominated world, but there is that worry of, well, do I know enough? Am I going to be made fun of? Am I going to be, you know, ridiculed or, or whatever like that? So, I, I'm I'm really curious because I I think that, and I know the women hunting world is is the fastest growing demographic right now, um, and I want to see that continue to grow because it's only good for the sport the more people that we have in it. Um, and I, I, I want to see it continue to grow. If, if that makes sense, that's a good question, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I think but, you definitely feel that tension, um, for sure. I'm lucky to have somebody like Brett who has experience with hunting and can right. kind of walk me through it. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think, like I said, I'm not that active on social media. Right. I haven't personally seen any of that, but I think there are a lot of good platforms like. Even the Toronto Sportsman Show, um, like YouTube videos, your own podcast. Like there's so many other outlets that are trying to spread information for yeah. new hunters. Um, but yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that um, you you can see that on the internet. Yeah. Um, it, it Again, it is what it is. And all we can try and do is, is educate and, and push the good word out on our own and, and try and advocate for these good things, right? But at the end of the day, we can't control everybody, and and that's just the, that's just the human side of things. Um, Hannah, yeah. um, you know, a great show. We're usually, we're usually another five to ten minutes longer, um, before we before we cut it off. But I wanted to give you a chance because I've I've been going on some pretty long rants here, chatting and stuff. I wanted to give you a chance to you know, to to do some talking uh, on whatever, if, it, if it's uh, bird flu, if it's uh, women in the hunting world or, or whatever, I wanted to give you an opportunity to try to have a few minutes for yourself to, to speak about something, if you want to, um, and just turn the mic over to you and, and let you go. So without putting you on the spot and putting any pressure <laughs> on you, go. Sure, yeah. Um... Well, going back to bird flu, um, there has been some recent articles in the news lately um, that I have been reading that are kind of interesting. So um, back in 2015, when we had the outbreak um, of bird flu, there was a vaccine developed. Um, it wasn't trialed, it wasn't used, but it was developed. Um, so recently I've been seeing articles of that vaccine being trialed um, over in Europe and then now in the US. Um, so that's that's been very big news. Um, you know, you mentioned um, the bird flu being found in mammals, um, which I think there was, I don't want to say the word fear mongering, but a little bit yeah. of that in the media um, in terms of having it um, tested positive in mammals um, right. and potentially transferring to humans. Um, personally, I still think that risk is fairly low, um, but it's good news now that we're seeing the vaccine um, come, come at least for the poultry industry. Um silly question how is the vaccine administered um 
That's a good question. I'm not too sure. Typically, um, for domestic pox, vaccines are administered through either water or spray, okay. um, yeah. or they can be administered in ovo um, to the eggs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, there's not a hundred <laughs> people with syringes going around and shooting up chickens, right? Like. That right. Way. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then in the wild populations, they could also like drop vaccines. Um, I know here in Ontario, they're dropping rabies vaccines um, for oh, mammals. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so there's there's programs like that um, for wild populations. Okay. Um, I cut you off while you were talking, but you brought up something else, um, and it'll come to me. So keep talking, <laughs> and I'll interrupt you again. That's sort of kind of my key. Um, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, that's really all I had on the bird flu, I think. Um, you did mention... Uh, supply chain earlier um and that was a really good point um i think birds especially in the domestic poultry side of things birds with a longer life cycle like um layers broiler breeders turkeys things like that are a lot more affected um so a lot of people will probably um relate to uh increasing egg prices in your grocery store yeah. um i can't say that's all due to ai but it certainly plays a role um in supply chain we're definitely going to be feeling that in the supply chain for a while to come i think um yeah a very good point and and i'll i'll say this to it that um for the canadians that are listening um and and you're complaining about the egg prices talking to bobby a bobby hayes down in kansas um our eggs are cheaper than what they are in the states right now or in at least in kansas anyways so um yeah um it it is a thing it, it it's happening and we're going to feel it um and and there's there's a lot of trickle down effects with all of this too right like with this um supply and demand sort of deal so um chicken you know um i can't remember the stat i was told the stat how many chickens are needed I guess, um, in the United States on a, on a monthly basis. And, and it's a staggering amount, obviously. Um, but it just goes to show that that is such a boiling point, right? Like it's a pressure cooker that the littlest thing could really, really damage that supply chain, right? That, that chicken, that poultry, turkey, chicken, um, duck, what, whatever. Um, that that's a pressure cooker right and and the littlest thing could really upset that and then it and that's where i'm getting at with all these there's a ton of trickle down effects that that'll be caused by that you know feed and corn and all of this other stuff so um man i i think i was ignorant um and not realizing just how big a deal it was until i i not that I, I've dug a ton into it. I've read a, a bit about it, um, but I was fairly ignorant in, in just how big a deal this is. Uh, with, and again, which is the reason why we really wanted you to come on and talk to us about it, because I think people, I, I really do think people need to know just how serious it is. And it's not just, um, you know, this show is, is, relates to waterfowl hunters um so it's not just the ducks and the geese right like it it's it's that whole poultry industry um which is really the the biggest 
the most susceptible, I guess, is the right term, right? Would be would be the the, the chicken farmers. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely um, the most at risk with yeah, yeah domestic poultry. Any domestic poultry, like backyard flocks, too, are at a huge risk. Um, and then yeah, also any carnivores like eagles, owls, hawks, that kind of thing. Wow, uh, that's a yeah. Actually, that's a good thing. So we're seeing more and more and more people with backyard chicken coops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like we're seeing, like, it's a lot. We didn't have them when I grew up, but my friends had chickens growing up and I hated the friggin' things. Um, <laughs> they were messy. The chicken coops were horrible and he had to go in and clean them and stuff like that. It was absolutely nasty. So I'll never raise chickens because I know how much work goes into it. But, um, you know, I know all of these people that are, that are in the industry, they have some pretty stick, strict red, uh, regulations that they have to adhere to and, and stuff like this. But then when you talk about the average, you know, dude that's living down the street that has a chicken coop in his backyard, like, is there really any regulations that that, that couple, that man, that woman has to, has to follow that you're aware exactly. of? Exactly. Yeah. I mean... In Canada, it is mandatory to report if you have AI or um, bird flu. But yeah, for the average backyard poultry producer, like you don't know how many yeah. are just letting their flocks die or get sick or yeah. are actually reporting it or getting a vet involved or something like that. So yeah, it's definitely a challenge to monitor that kind of situation. Man, I never even thought about that because I would think that that there is a very strong possibility that someone would not even know what they're looking at and just be like, well, you know, chickens died. So, and just throw it in a, in a glad bag and, and turf it. Right. Because that, that's exactly, a strong yeah. possibility that that could be happening. That's, that's insane. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Well, Hannah, I'm going to tell you, we screw around on this show a lot and, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it was, it was good to have a smart person on uh, for, for once. Um, not taking anything away from any previous guests, but you're obviously the smartest that's been on. So um, well, I, can't thank thank, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, and sorry about the, sorry about the, the, the breaking communication there. Um, I was down south and, and stuff, and Dave's on fire calls every single day. So um <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and helping us spread this. And I'd love for you to come on again. Um, and don't wait for an invite when, when you think there's something that's, that's in your world that should be talked about, you have my contact number. Now you can just reach out to me and say, Hey, I, I think we should do a show because this really needs to get some attention. Um, would love to have you come back on again. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this was great. Um, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I think you have a really good platform here for keeping the uh, community informed and engaged. So, yeah, thank you again very no, much. Thank you so much. Um, everybody, Hannah Facey, um, the smartest person ever on the Union 0430. <laughs> thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, yeah. Just, just a great episode. Everybody, this was episode 142 of the Union 0430. As always, we are not uh, experts. We don't pretend to be. We are just a bunch of people that love hunting 
and love one another's company. Until next time, big love and be nice to one another.